0: So if you look there in the verse one, who will follow Jesus, standing for the right, holding up? Who will follow? And so one of the things we'll, we'll look at in our lesson this morning is uh, that those that are faithful are ready to obey when when presented orders. Verse two, who will follow Jesus in life's busy ways, working for the master, giving him the praise, earnest in his vineyard, honoring his laws, faithful to his counsel, watchful for his calls, and that third. I believe they call that a stanza. Uh, looking at the or, verse. Well, is faithful to his counsel, watchful for his cause. That alludes to the idea of his commandments, his word, and we're faithful to that and we're watchful for his cause. We're defending that. Uh, and we're always um, looking to him for that. And if you go back up towards the beginning of that verse, in life's busy ways. And so um, we'll also look at That concept too. Verse 3 Who will follow Jesus in his work of love, leading others to him, lifting prayers above, courage, faithful servant? In his word, we see on our side forever will this Savior be. And so, we do see that uh, our Savior is with us if we are faithful to him and we're honoring him. If you will, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. I figured this was a good a place as any to begin our, our thoughts in, in the Scriptures this morning. Romans chapter 9, and of course we're picking up here in the, in the beginning of Paul's thoughts, but uh, I think we'll, uh, we'll get uh, what, we're, what we're wanting out of here. Romans 9, starting in verse 27. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. Because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth, and as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have been, we would have become like Sodom, and we have would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why, but? Because of the works of the law. They stumbled at the stumbling stone in Zion, a stumbling stone, a rubble right of belief. Here we get uh, the concept there in verse 27 that, you know, though the number of the children of Israel, God's chosen people, is though that number is as uh, the sand of the sea, it's only that remnant among them that are going to be saved. And I, I think we see there in verse 32, uh, Paul answers that question why is this? Why is that the case? Because they did not seek it by faith. That's why the whole of the children of Israel were not saved. It was because they didn't seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. And so we see that those that are going to be counted among the remnant will be those uh, that seek God by faith. And that's what we'll talk about this morning. Verse chapter 11, starting in verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleased with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek uh, my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant, according to the election of grace. And so I believe uh, Stephen had a lesson about Elijah, and he covered this a few weeks ago. we see Elijah in despair, and he's he's telling the Lord, uh, "They've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left." And what's God tell him? "No, there's a remnant." That's essentially what God says. There's a remnant that's to me. And then Paul says, "Time," in verse five, "Even so, uh, that's left." Uh, for where we are today, think back to Noah. I don't know exactly the population of the earth when when Noah was here, but how many? How many folks were saved then? How many folks were faithful? Eight. Um, Think to the golden calf incident uh, in Exodus 32, and I would like for you to flip over there. Exodus 32. You think about all the things that this people has seen. Um, They've seen the deliverance coming out of Egypt. Uh, They've seen the plagues while they were in Egypt. They've seen Moses and the glory of of God on the mountain. He's up there for, if I got my math right, it was 40 days. Moses was there. And in this time, what do they do? They create the golden (laughs) calf. They they decide Moses is not coming back. We're going to find us a leader and we're going to go back. We're going to go back to Egypt. We're done with this. And so we see that um, the group of, of Israel itself, it seems... The way it, the, the text reads it, it was the whole. Uh, but I do think there in verse, uh, Exodus 32 and in verse 26, and Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother. Every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And so the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. And so we see at least there was some, at least there's Levi, that when Moses said, you know, if you're on the Lord's side, you come over here. So there was at least a remnant uh, that was there. I don't know the number, but there was some portion of them. And he sends them out to the camp, uh, killing their neighbor, killing their brother, and killing their companion uh, for that sin that they committed there. And so uh, we do see out of this whole group uh, that God leads out of Israel, there's some uh, that, are, that are faithful to him. Spies coming out of land. And look in Numbers uh, 14. Um, Moses sends um, 12 spies into the land of Canaan in Numbers um, 13. And in Numbers 14, they come back. Uh, and so I'd like to read verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> Numbers 14 and 1 through 10. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephah who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we, spied, we pa- the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. And so we see here that the the, the spies go into land, and ten of them come back and say, we can't take it. They're giants, They're the sons of Anak. Um, that we're like grasshoppers in their in their in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. They say. And so we see here that um, you know it says the whole congregation was against them. So you've got. Uh, two men, it looks like Moses and Aaron, that are standing faithful. And, and why might that be? I think in verse 9 tells us, um, this is Caleb and, and Joshua's response. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed for, uh, from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And so they're, they're standing faithful. They are understanding God's promise that, that he's already told them. He's going to give them that land. They're trusting that promise. But I think here again we see just a small number. Remain faithful during this time. Um, and we already read where... <clears throat> well, let's, let's flip over to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, 1 Kings 19 and then verse 18. This is the passage that Paul uh, brings up in Romans. This is when Ahab is king Elijah Elijah... Um, is there, and he's uh, distraught. The uh, the prophets have been killed, uh, and so he he's distraught. But what's the Lord telling him? Yet I have reserved seven thousand faithful to him. There's some that have not submitted themselves to serving other gods, and they have not. Look over to Jesus, John chapter six, and in verse 6, 66. Um, this is after the feeding of the five thousand, and he's um, preaching to them here. He's done walked on the sea. He's fed them, uh, the, the people, the 5,000. <clears> John 6 and verse 66, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Um, just think of all that Jesus had done uh, up to this point, all the, the miracles and the raising. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember in the chronology if he'd raised them from the dead, but I think you'll... Um, get my point here in a minute, but you know he's, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's healed all these people. There's people coming to him in droves. And I think what we see throughout uh, his life is he's in his ministry. And then when he gets there to the end, how many folks are left? How many folks are left there to go with him to the cross? We, we sung about it in the, in the song right before the Lord's Supper. There was none. Matthew 26 and verse 56. This is the uh, betrayal there in the garden. Matthew 26 and verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So you think about all the things Jesus had done, all the things these people had seen. And they forsake him. They leave him. He's there uh, on his own to be crucified, to endure that cruel death on the cross. He's he's by himself. And so, you know, none, none remain faithful at this point. They all forsake him. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is when Peter uh, and the Apostles there are on the day of Pentecost, and Peter delivers uh, this sermon with the eleven. We see in verse 14 he raised his voice and said to them, and he begins his sermon. We see there in verse 36. Therefore that all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And in verse 41, Then those who gladly received his, his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And I don't know how folks come up with these numbers, but I did some research on how many folks would have been in, in Jerusalem this day. Um... And from my research, it said about 3 million would have been there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost right here with with Peter and the 11 standing up. And we know that uh, they were speaking in tongues. They spoke in everyone's language. Everyone heard what they were saying. Uh, So obviously a miracle is taking place. The word is delivered. Peter delivers that sermon. And that is one-tenth of a percent would be 3,000 if if 3 million were present. That's one-tenth of 1% of the folks there believed. They had faith in what he was saying. They understood the words that were spoken, and they acted upon uh, upon that. They had faith, and they moved them to action, and they were baptized. And so, here again, we're talking about a small number of people in reference to uh, what's going on. Let's so turn to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven. <laughs> In verse 13, this is Jesus and what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus' sermon, he's finishing up uh, here in uh, verse or chapter 7. Chapter 7 and verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Go back up to verse 13 and 14. uh, Jesus is telling us here that, you know, the gate that leads to hell is wide open. and There's a lot of folks that are going to go down. A lot of folks that are going to go down. And because why? Because difficult is the way which leads to life. So difficult is the way that leads to heaven, and there's few that find it. There's few that actually can can do it. There's few that actually have the faith in God and trust in Him that, that are gonna do it. It's, it's too difficult, uh, they may say. In verse 21 through 23, what I referenced earlier about, you know, us, you know, we look around and and, and we think, well, well, my goodness, you know, there's only, you look at Columbus here, well, I don't know how many pop, population, I'd say twenty, thirty thousand. And we look at the room here and we're thinking, well, my, that's a slim number here, you know. And then then you read verse 21 through 23, well, not everyone who says to me, Lord, or shall I the kingdom of heaven. I don't think he's just talking to those outside that may be in some other church building this morning. I think he's, he's referencing, obviously, those folks, but he's referencing us too. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, not everyone, uh, he's saying there, verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? These folks have done uh, some work here. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart me, you who practice lawlessness. And so, we can deceive ourselves. They deceive themselves here, what Jesus said. Who's to think that we can't deceive ourselves? So, um,. Why all that? Why, why start there? That's a bleak picture, isn't it? That's a, you know, it's kind of it's a humbling thought for me to, to think about these things. Uh, but I think that the question is, is, so what's it take to be numbered among the remnant? Be numbered among those that God finds faithful in a group of folks um, that claim to be His or a group of folks uh, in this world. How, how do we how do we find ourselves being counted in the remnant? Because I would, I would think at least all of us here would say, I want to be. I want to be part of that remnant. I want to be part of that group of people that God says is faithful. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Just a heads up, Mr. Jerry will be uh, leading our class uh, after this on Hebrews 11. I would assume we'll talk a little bit more about Abraham. Uh, but I can't help but think when I think about this topic um, and knowing that uh, going back to Romans where he's talking about that we need faith to be counted among them, I can't help but think about Abraham. And what was, who was he? Why did he do the things that he did? How did he have that faith that? You know Jesus winds up talking about it in the Gospels, and Paul talks about it in Romans and in Galatians. You know Abraham's a man that's held up throughout all of Scriptures as a man of faith, as a man that did what God asked him to do. Uh, and so I got to, I just have to think back to him and, and wonder, um, and wonder how he was uh, counted among the faithful. Let's start there in uh, chapter 12. And in verse 1. Now, the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. You know, we could spend a lot of time talking about, you know, uh, Well, he could have been thinking he'd never see the rest of his family again. I mean, all those things. But I think what we see is God gave a command. And what did Abraham do? Abraham acted. So um, it just says in chapter 4, there's no arguing on Abraham's part. Abraham just spoke. And he did what the Lord asked him to do. He left. Uh, So he's got a command given by God. And he leaves. He leaves his family. He leaves everything he ever knew. He left his his homeland to go to a place that God would show him. He didn't even know where he was going. God just said, I'm going to... I'm gonna take you there, and Abraham says, "Yes, sir, I'm gonna go." And he departs. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, starting there in verse one. Genesis 22, and in verse one, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, "Abraham," and he said, "Here am I, here I am." Then he said, "Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on." one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And here again, he doesn't know where he's going. He's just saying, Lord's telling him he's going to show him a mountain. Uh, And so Abraham, there in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And so, here again, we see God giving a command there in verses uh, 1 and really verse 2, Take now your son, your only son, uh, the son of promise, that son that, he was told all the nations that would carry his seed. And uh, God is telling him uh, to sacrifice him. So appears the next morning, the very next morning, Abraham rose early in the morning and left and went to go offer up Isaac. And, of course, we know if we we read on through the story, uh, Abraham was going to do it, and we're told in Scriptures that Abraham just believed that God could raise him up, you know, (laughs) by no indication at least that, that we know of, that, that being done, or Abraham of seeing God do that. He just believed that it could be done. He just believed God. God told him to act. And what did he do? He acted. He, he had the faith that God wanted him to have, and that faith that moves to action immediately. No questions asked. I move when God says move. And Abraham was that man. Think about Daniel uh, and him there, where, where they're uh, trying to, Get him killed, the folks that he's uh, that he's in the nation with, and what's he do? He's he's not uh, taken back by that. He's just doing his regular thing. He's going to pray. He doesn't care what the consequences are. He's going to serve God. He's going to worship and pray no matter what happens, no matter uh, what verdict is is given down by the government he's under. He's just going to do it. Then I think of David, Second Samuel chapter twelve. Second Samuel twelve. Really, start there in verse seven. You know, we, we know that uh, at this point David is um, taking Uriah's wife, slept with her. She is now um, going to give birth to his child. He's murdered Uriah the Hittite um, by the hand of uh, by his hand, and now Nathan the prophet is coming to him. The Lord has sent Nathan to David. Start there in verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the command of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed your the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the Sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take up your wives before your eyes, and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. And you shall not die. So, when I think about um, this this thought of faith and being numbered among God's God's faithful, I can't help but think of this story where we know that David is caught up in this sin and he is, um, you know, we read in the Psalms how it says he was eating him up, but, you know, all indications on the outside, he's just going along with what's going, what's supposed to happen. And Nathan comes to him and. He's he's not able to see what Nathan is telling him. Nathan's telling him, I'm telling you a story about you. And David's not able to see it. Uh, He's able to see that if somebody else did this, this should be the punishment for him. And David clearly makes that judgment. So David has deceived himself in this moment. And Nathan says, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. And so, you know, God has sent Nathan to him to confront him with his sin. And then what's David's response? All right. I have sinned, is what he says there uh, in verse 13. I have sinned against the Lord. And so, you know, David, when confronted with that sin, he he takes what Nathan tells him and he just says, I've done this. And he's able to, to see himself clearly at that point, it seems like. You know, he was evidently deceived up until then. And so, you know, I think that if we're going to be numbered among the faithful and numbered among that remnant, we've got to be able to do this. We have to be able to say When when we're presented with God's Word and when somebody presents God's Word to us, we respond. We understand, I was wrong. Even if we didn't think so at the time, but guess what? God's Word proves otherwise. I'm wrong. And guess what? I've sinned, and I'm going to move on from that. And I'm going to confess it, and I'm going to repent of it, and I'm going to do different. It takes faith to do that. It takes a heart that is willing to change, is willing to be humbled, and willing to submit. And how how much we need help with that turn to Hebrews 11 I promise you Mr. J, I'm not going to do the whole chapter Hebrews 11 starting there in verse 13 Hebrews 11 and verse 13 he's already talked about Abraham a little bit verses 8-12, through 12, and he'll talk about Abraham again, and will talk about Moses and some of these great people of faith. Right here in the middle middle of the thought, verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. Embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would... Have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He is, He has prepared a city for them. One thought that, that I think we should uh, all think about daily is: Is God ashamed to be called our God? You know, you see that there in verse 16 that God wasn't ashamed to be called their God. These folks that were faithful to Him, He wasn't ashamed. He was, He was uh, obviously. Um, very much willing to be called their God and very happy uh, to do so. But what's the two things that that he brings up here in verses 13 through 16 of those that are faithful? Um, I think the first thing that that he brings up is that they, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them. So the first thing is these folks that were faithful believed the promises. Believed the promises of God. They they took them as true. They knew they were true, and they just saw them afar off. They don't even have what we have, but yet they were assured of them and they believed them. They had faith in them. And then the second thing is they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They weren't attached here. They were seeking a better country, uh, is what he says. Um, Go verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. They seek somewhere different than here. They're not attached to here. And so I think that's why Abraham was able to leave earth. He was able to depart from there. He was able to take when God told him that uh, through his seed all the earth would be blessed and all these guys, Isaac, his only son, the son of promise, he's just going to go offer him up because he knows God's. God can fulfill all of his promises. He's not worried about that. God's got His end, and Abraham has His end of the deal, and Abraham's willing to do His end because he knows God's willing to do His. He has faith in that. He trusts that. He trusts God, and he wasn't tied here. Same thing with David. You know, you you're not, uh, especially when you look at Saul and David. Um, you certainly see that that David trusts the promises. He he didn't feel like here was his here was his home. And I think that's why he was able to take what Nathan told him and. I have sinned against the Lord and he was able to repent of those things um, I think these things are hold us back not trusting in him fully and being so entrenched in this life not understanding that, that there's something better, there's something else out there that God has prepared for us and those things hinder us from having that faith that God requires us to have I think we I think it's a legitimate question to ask is, is this unreasonable? Is God being unreasonable here? Does anybody think God's being unreasonable? No. No. He's not. He's fulfilled all the promises, especially us sitting here. He, if you look back in Hebrews, he's saying these. They haven't received the promises and they believe. So Abraham hadn't received all these things. We have. God has fulfilled His promises time and time again. And all of us in here ought to be able to see that. I ought to be able to see His love. He sent His Son. He's delivered us from from the bondage of sin, the greatness of that. And He's prepared for us a homeland. He's prepared a better country, heaven, for us to go live with Him for all of eternity. And for us to just do what He says when He says do it. That's all He's requiring of us. Believe Him. Have faith in Him. And act when He tells us to act. And repent and turn from our sin. That's all He's asking us to do. That's not unreasonable. I don't believe that one minute. I don't think any of y'all do. So it's not unreasonable. So let's do it. Let's let's strive to do those things that God has had us to do. 1 Peter 5 and in verse 5. 1 Peter 5 and in verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I think, if I think about my myself and my own life, what keeps me uh, from having the faith that I should have? What keeps me from having the faith that God uh, would have for me to have and act when, when I know that I should or repent when I know that I should? When somebody's presenting uh, his word and I know I need to, need to submit, uh, first of all, there's a problem that we uh, all have. We like to deceive ourselves and think, think other things, but um, a lot of it boils down to pride. I want my own will. I want my own thing. I want to do what I want to do. Uh, and God is telling us he'll lift us up if we submit to him. James 4 and in verse 6. James 4 and in verse 6. James 4 and verse 6 reads, But he gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And So that's that's where we want to be. We want to humble ourselves in his sight, and we know that he'll lift us up. One last uh, passage. Evan will lead us in an invitation song in a minute. Hebrews 12, Hebrews twelve, starting in verse 1. Hebrews 12 and in verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so I think here the Hebrew writer is telling us... uh, what besets us? You know, what are the things that uh, that that get us? Um, and he's telling us there, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I think he's referencing back to all of those that are faithful, all those examples that we have. We see all those things, and he's telling us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. And so, anything of this life that seeks or that that um, hinders us from from seeking a different homeland, from from being uh, from I guess not being attached to here that, that sin that so easily gets us the sin that ensnares us it traps us uh, lay aside all of those things let us, let us put them aside and then run with, uh, run with endurance the race that's set before us and I think it, just by implication he's saying that if you keep that sin if you let that weight you down you can't run the race you can't run the race that's required for all of us to run and then what's he telling us there in verse 2 look to Jesus the author and finisher of our, of our faith, for the joy that was set before him and the cross, despising the same. And now he's sat down at the right hand of God and we can have hope that we can do the same, that we can sit down at his right hand one day. If we remain faithful, if we act like Abraham and act like David and act when we should act and have that faith uh, that God would have us to have. If, there, if there's any uh, in this room this morning that need the encouragement, Uh, of the saints here to um, help encourage you to to walk faithful. Or if you have not uh, began that walk uh, with the Lord, we'd ask you to come forward and stand while we're saying.